In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now and ever to the ages of all ages. Amen. So part two, how do I know I've forgiven someone? When I usually start this journey of forgiveness with, with somebody and spiritual guidance or something like that, oftentimes we'll get to a point where the person will say, well, how do I know that I've really forgiven this person? How do I know I've really let it go? That's what we're going to be discussing today. Um, a lot of the material here, especially the very practical material here, a lot of it comes from this book called Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. And um, uh, so total disclaimer, you know, like I'm not plagiarizing, I'm giving full attribution to the person who came up with this stuff. Um, um, and really this book was, uh, you know, began a journey of real uh, life change in my life. And it's the power of God that changes us, not a video, not a talk, not a sermon series, not a book. Uh, but nonetheless, this is where it started for me. And this is why I felt that it was imperative that I share this uh, with you. Um, and again, if you want a copy of this book, there are some, well, there were some over there. Um, if, you, if, there if you still want a, a copy, we can order more. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, the church is here to be a blessing to you. Let us know what would be a blessing to you. And when we get hurt, the question arises, how can I forgive? And we talked about this last week when I, I've been hurt so deeply. And the usual kind of chain of events is there is an offense which hurts. And that hurt leads to anger. And I find myself angry. And as I replay the offense in my mind, I re-hurt and I re-get angry. And that's what resentment is. It's re-sentiment, re-feeling, feeling it again and again and again and replaying it. And every time that happens, I get, I get hardened a little. I get hardened a little. I get hardened a little. After a while, I become unbelieving, cynical. I don't believe there's good in, in the world anymore. I don't want to believe anybody because I've been, I've been so deeply hurt. When you meet somebody who's cynical, sarcastic, uh, you know, uh, uh, hard, har hardened person, don't judge them. Don't, don't get angry with them or, you know, know that, know that there's been some, some deep pain in their life, which they've been resenting, re-feeling, uh, or some chronic recurring hurt. Like it's not that they're going back and replaying the same event. It's the same thing. They live with an abusive person or whatever who's constantly hurting them. And the hurt is constantly happening. And it leads to bitterness and a hardened heart. And this is all stuff we talked about last week. And then so we talked about why is it so hard to forgive? And yesterday, well, last week, sorry, we talked about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. And I believe that forgiveness is so ill-defined in most people's minds, that's why they have so much difficulty doing it. It's hard to hit a target that's blurry. It's hard to hit a target that you can't see. So we spent a lot of time last week. If you missed it, you can catch it um, on YouTube where we really tried to define what forgiveness really is and is not. And then we talked about how forgiveness is a gift. And we oftentimes think that forgiveness is a gift that I'm giving to my offender. I'm going to let you off the hook. So that's a gift to you because I'm going to let you off the hook. It's not. It's actually a gift to me. It's a gift to myself. It's a gift to let go of the hurt, to just let it go. 
and let it out of my life so I can stop feeling and refeeling and feeling and refeeling the hurt. We talked about how reconciliation takes two, but forgiveness only takes one. When you forgive somebody, it's between you and yourself, between you and God, between you and you. The offender may never even know that you forgave them. They don't even have to be alive. They could be in a different country because it's something that you do in and within yourself. You choose to forgive them. So reviewing again, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is nothing more than an act of will, a stubborn, persistent act of will to let go of past hurts. Just let it go. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. Nor is the peace that it engenders later. You're not going to feel like, ah! no. No, it's not a feeling. It's an act of will. All re this is all review from last week. We forgive others, not because they deserve forgiveness, but because I deserve peace. I deserve for this not to bother me anymore. I deserve to be indifferent towards this event in the past. We finished last week with saying, to, quoting Louis B. Smeads, one of the earliest uh, academics to study forgiveness in the 20th century. To forgive is to set a prisoner free, free and then to discover that that prisoner was yourself. Holding on to unforgiveness hurts the person who's holding on. It's like being cut with a knife and then choosing to hold the knife. It continues to cut you. So you believe everything you heard and you say, okay, Father John, I'm all in. Act of will, I choose to let go. And you find peace for 20 minutes <laughs> and then it comes back and it haunts you again and then you walk by somebody wearing the same cologne as your offender and then you walk by a place that you had visited with the person who hurt you and then and this little things jog your memory and remind you and it comes back why do i keep losing my peace that's what we're going to talk about today and how can I know for certain I've forgiven this person and I've forgiven this offense, I've forgiven this hurt, and it's out of my life. That's what we're talking about today. I'll tell you why. The number one reason why we lose our peace after forgiveness is that we play this game of tug of war. We let go a bit and then something in us pulls it back. Something in us, like we, we let go of 97% and then we we reel back in another 3% why why do we do that we hold on even when we're committed to forgiveness even when we've decided and we're committed and we're gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and I and I, and I give it away oftentimes you'll find we hold on to just a little bit if we're not intentional about searching our mind and our heart, intentional about totally forgiving somebody, completely forgiving somebody, we will find it hard to forgive 
as it always is, it's not easy in any, in any instance. We'll find it hard, we will do it, we will forgive, and later on we will discover that we held on to a little bit of the hurt. Unless we go and search our lives to get rid of every last little bit of retained unforgiveness, of retained hurt, we'll find that nine times out of 10, I don't know, I don't, have a, I don't have a real statistic for you, but the overwhelming majority of times, I will have think that I completely forgot this, for, forgave this person, I'm forgetting it, it's behind me, I'm never coming back, I'll smell the cologne, I'll see the restaurant, all this, all that, and all of a sudden, the same exact feelings of anger and pain and will come right back up inside me. And I'll feel so disillusioned that I'll feel like this forgiveness thing is a farce. It's not. It's not. It's that little bit that we hold back. Way, way, way back when, in the, in the Old Testament, there was this, this feast called the Passover feast. And I'm not going to go into all the details about it, but part of the celebration of this Passover feast for seven days was for them not to have any leaven, any yeast, so they would, all the bread they would bake would be, would be like crackers, like it wouldn't rise because it didn't have any yeast. The week before the feast, they would spend the whole week searching the house. So, and modern day, modern day observant Jews still do this. And it becomes, it's become like I had lots of Jewish friends growing up. It became sort of like their spring cleaning week right? Because they empty out their cupboards. And so they're doing it for like a religious purpose, but then they also check the expiry dates and, you know, throw out the bad stuff. I don't know, whatever, whatever, you know what I mean? And clean out their cupboards and this and that and so on, right? And they literally empty every storage place they have. It's part of the rules of extremely observant Jews to, to get rid of any yeast. You and I need to do that with the hurt in our lives. We need to search every last little corner and make sure that we don't have any unwanted house guests. There's a <coughs> famous, famous event of that that happened in the Old Testament. Moses brings the people out of Egypt. They wander through the desert for 40 years. They're entering into the promised land. The first city they, they're going up to is Jericho. God promises them a miraculous victory of Jericho, but he tells them those people are idol worshipers. Don't take any of their stuff. Destroy everything. Burn it to the ground. Don't take any of theirs. There's this one guy called Akan. Akan sees this silver statue and some silken scarves, and he says, ah, this is some really nice stuff. He says, what a shame. It would be such a shame to just, you know. So he says, surely it's not such a big deal. And he takes those things and he buries them in the floor of his tent. God gives them a marvelous victory in Jericho. You know, it's, it's absolutely astounding. And I would love to tell you the details of, the, of, of it maybe some other time. Then Jericho was a fortified city. It had walls 11 feet high. The, the base of the walls were five feet thick. It was an impregnable fortress. The, conquering Jericho was like conquering the Pentagon, okay? These, these nomads, homeless people, bandits in the, in the desert, conquer the Pentagon, okay? That's exactly what this was like. <coughs> then 
There's a little town which was opposite Jericho called Ai. A-I. Ai. Had 3,000 people in it. So Joshua says to his commander, he says, we don't need to send the whole army to conquer Ai. We'll just send like, you know, like a small detachment of troops or something to conquer Ai. So they send the detachment of troops and they get schooled. They, they get killed. And so Joshua runs to God and he says, what's wrong, God? How come you've left us? And God says, somebody, somebody has some stuff from Jericho they're not supposed to have. And Joshua says, who? And God reveals to him this tribe. From this tribe, who? This clan. From this clan, who? This family. From this family, who? The family of Akan. So they go and they search in his tent, they dig up and they find the stuff. And Akan and his family are, are stoned. The stuff is burned. And the whole, all of Israel repents before God for the sin of Akan. That God would have that God would have mercy on them. Regardless of the details of the story of, the, of, of Akan, the sin of Akan, you and I do this. You and I do this. We follow the rules 99%. But then we say, what a shame. Let me just hold on to this. You know what it's kind of like in my past life? You know, I was a surgeon, and so we would scrub before surgery. And the goal was asepsis was no microbes, none, zero. Not like for things to be clean or clean enough or the goal, not always achieved, but the goal was asepsis, 100% sterility. We put things in an autoclave, they jack up the temperature in there. I can't remember how high, 400 or 500 degrees Celsius or something. I can't remember for a few minutes. And, and the stuff comes out and it's sterile. There's nothing. It would be unacceptable for it to be 97% sterile. It would, it, it, would not be, it would not be considered acceptable. But somehow we accept that some infection is still resident within me that can come back and haunt me later. We've got, to, we've got to go to those extreme measures. You know the 80-20 rule? It takes 50% of your energy to accomplish 80% of a result. And then 50% of your energy to achieve the last 20% of your result. It's not proportional, unfortunately. So it's going to take a lot of effort to climb, to climb up to that, to that last bit, the law of diminishing returns. To get that last 4 or 5%, you have to work almost as hard as you did to get the 95%. But I've got to do it. I've got to search my life and I've got to evict those, that, last, that last little bit of unforgiveness I'm holding back on. Why, why do we hold back? I'll give you a few reasons. I don't want to linger too long on this because I want to talk about the positive things. But, but I, I want you to be convinced that we do this. We, we hold back a little because we don't want the other person to get away with it. So, Father John, you just want me to, you just want me to say, I'm just going to forgive this, this probably the, the, the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I'm just going to forgive it and I'm going to forget it and it's going to be like it never happened. This is like a defining thing in my life. You want me to just, you want me to just let it go? Hey, man, I don't want anything from you. You do you. Do, you. do whatever you like. 
You want to be bitter and resentful and angry and go right on ahead. Like, I, it's not going to change anything for me. I'm on salary. <laughs> I don't get commission for your forgiveness, right? So, well, okay, what's another reason? Another reason is sometimes I know something about somebody. And if I totally forgive them, if I forgive and I forget, and I, we talked yesterday about how forgetting is different for, from forgiving last week, sorry, not yesterday. But regardless, I go through the whole process of different steps of forgiveness and reconciliation, rebuilding trust, forgetting the hurt. I go through all the steps, right? And I do the whole kit and caboodle. Then I can't hold it, I can't hold it against them anymore. I can't pin it on them anymore. I can't look at them from the corner of my eye and say, I know something about you. I could tell the whole world. I could ruin your life. I can't hold it against them anymore. You're all good people. You would never hold it against them for real. But sometimes we hold it against them between ourselves. Sometimes I put the blame, forgive me, I don't mean this to sound harsh, the the blame for my own failures on my past hurts. Well, I've been hurt so much in the past, it's only reasonable that I, you know, whatever. But you can't do that anymore. If you let it go, if you let it go completely and you're never going to take it back, we're going to talk about what that means. You're never going to mention it ever again. Sometimes we want the other person to feel guilty. It's only fair. Like they hurt me for real. Like they caused real damage and emotional damage and psychological damage and da 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 da. It's only fair that they feel a little guilty. It's only fair that every time I see them, I look them in the eye. Just a little bit, you know, that awkward stare. <laughs> and then walk away, you know? Hey there, you ruined my life. Have a nice day, you know? Right? It's only fair. They should feel something. My dearly beloved brother and sister, they may feel something, but you are going to pay for that so much more with the resentment and the pain and the anger you will continue to carry, which will surprise you, unfortunately, at the most inopportune times. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's a lifelong commitment. What I'm talking about is this. We think that it works like this. We think that the, the offense is punctual. Like in, over, you know, on, a time, on a timeline, at a certain date, a certain time, the offense happened. And then at a certain day, on a certain t time, I committed to do an act of will and to forgive someone. Right? Wrong. Doesn't work that way. Actually... The offense does happen at a particular moment in time. And in a particular moment in time, you and I also choose to forgive. That is true. But then we need to continue to choose to forgive that person forever. Because those little reminders, those little cues are going to happen. They are going to happen. And I need to be constantly renewing my commitment to forgiveness. So forgiveness is a lifestyle, not a punctual act of will. 
It's a willful, intentional lifestyle to hold the world with an open hand. I'm not holding on to anything. I'm just letting it go. Let's talk a little bit more about that. You're going to say, but Father John, oh, I really don't feel like it. C.S. Lewis tweeted yesterday, and no, I'm just kidding. I mean, the guy's been dead for a number of years. But, you know, the Twitter feed C.S. Lewis daily quoted C.S. Lewis yesterday saying, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. Just love them. Just love them indeed. Just do something nice for them. Just be kind to the person that you don't want to be kind to. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you feel like you want to slap them in the face, smile at them instead. So how can I know I've totally forgiven someone only when you've really forgiven them completely. We only have one perfect model of that, and it's Jesus. Jesus on the cross, crucified, spat upon, scourged. You need some more details, go watch The Passion of the Christ and come back and we'll talk. On the cross, looks at his aggressors and says, looks up to heaven and says, Father, forgive them, and makes an excuse and says, for they know not what they do. In the depth of his pain and suffering, he lets them go. Not only does he let them go, he makes an excuse for them, he advocates for them. This is complete forgiveness. What else is complete forgiveness? In the Psalms, it says, as far as is the east is from the west, so far has he, has he removed our iniquities from us. Listen to that once again. Close your eyes if you need to. As far as is the east is from the west, so far has he removed our iniquities from us. To God, there is no association between your willful sin and your person. One is as far as is the east is from the west to the other. St. Paul tells us, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ also forgave you. This is what we're aiming for. This is what it means to completely forgive is to forgive like God does. Don't believe you can do it? I believe you can. I believe in you and I believe in me because I believe in God. Let me tell you the secret weapon I have discovered. It's not my discovery. Actually, it's been there all along for forgiveness. This is like the secret weapon. This, this, can, this can lead me to forgive the most unforgivable person in my life. We told a story last, last time that Jesus told about a master who had some servants. One servant owed him $100 million and he forgave him because he couldn't pay. And then that servant went out and find, found somebody who owed him $100 and took him by the throat and like sh gave him a good shake and threw him in prison until he pays back. 
So the master called the first servant back in and he said, hey, I thought I forgave you. What did you do to your fellow servant? And the master threw him in prison till he should pay the last little bit. These are Jesus' exact words. That's a summary that I just shared, but this is, this is Jesus' exact words. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? There's that just as, where the master is expecting the first servant to be just as the master. So my heavenly father will also do to each one of you from, if you do not forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The secret weapon that I have for forgiveness of others is actually my own repentance. Every time, okay, I'll tell you my trigger, okay? Being real vulnerable with you all. Okay, the thing that drives me crazy, the thing that makes me go from zero to a hundred in a second, in a nanosecond, is when I feel disrespected needlessly. I don't know what needlessly means because when is it needful to disrespect somebody? I haven't figured that out. But when I feel that it is just such uncalled for disrespect, you know, of anyone, it doesn't have to be personal. When I see that done to somebody else, it makes me go crazy. I could kill the offender and feel no remorse in that moment. My spiritual father has taught me to like some self-talk. So hold on a second here, John. Just take a step back for a second. So why are you worthy of respect? Well, I'm a human being. It seems like a basic right, you know? Oh, and do you treat other people as human beings? Of course I do. Really? All the time? Of course I do. So when you look at somebody and see how they could benefit you, is that treating them like a human being? Or is that like objectifying them? Or if you look at somebody as a sex object, is that treating them like a human being or is that objectifying them? And you, you seem to treat people with respect when it seems to kind of fancy be your fancy, but when it isn't, you don't. But if other people don't respect you or respect the people you love, ho, 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 they're in trouble, at least in your books. Hmm. All of a sudden, it's not so hard to forgive the disrespectful offender. All of a sudden, when I see that I'm also guilty of the same, when I see that, then I pause, turn my eyes to heaven and say, Lord, forgive me and forgive this useless son of, I mean, this uh, person who is disrespectful. <laughs> forgive me, forgive him. Lord, save me and save him. Lord, help me and help him. Then my unforgiveness, my anger my, is turned into intercession. We talked about this some other time as well in the context of judgment. My own repentance of my own sins, whatever they may be, they may be related to the offense or not related to the offense. But when I see that I too have been so dearly forgiven, I have been forgiven the hundred million dollars. I have been forgiven the hundred million dollars. How can I hold the hundred dollars against my brother, my sister, or this random person, or the guy who cut me off, or the, right? 
We talked about this a lot during Lent. We talked about St. Anthony teaching us, if you forget your sins, God will forever remember them. If you remember your sins, God will forever forget them. St. Anthony's not saying that God waits and sees what is it that you, you know, aren't remorseful for, and then he remembers those. No, 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 not at all. The things that I forget, when I forget my sins, when I forget my, when I forget my past, when I forget my story, when I forget where I've come from, we're not talking about remembering our sins in their deepest and darkest detail, but once upon a time, there was a guy named John, and he did this, this, and this. If I can just remember that, and that is enough, it will keep my feet on the ground. It will make it really hard for me to see myself as more righteous than my brother and in position to hold something over him or over her. Holding something back holds you back. It doesn't benefit anybody. Holding something back holds you back. What does it mean to, to completely forgive? It means that I won't let anybody know what someone did or said about me. It means I'll just take it and bury it as deep as I can. I don't need to know about it. I don't need to think about it. And I don't need to tell anybody else. We talked about this last week that sometimes you'll speak about it to a counselor for help or to a spiritual guide for guidance. That's different. You're not, you're not t talking smack about, you're not, you're not trying to badmouth somebody. You're speaking to somebody who is probably going to find some kind of compassion for your offender. So that's fine. You're speaking to somebody to get help. But I'm not going to talk to anybody else. I don't want anybody to think poorly of this person. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to tell people this person has been the biggest blessing in my life. Although maybe they have, and we're going to talk about that at the end. But I'm just going to bury it. Never going to talk about it again. What else is complete forgiveness? Complete forgiveness is not to allow anybody to be afraid or to be intimidated by me. If you remember, Saul used to chase David and try to kill him. And David didn't hold it against Saul. He just let it go. He just let it go. And that's what made him healthy. There's a beautiful example of this in, in, in the media recently. Um, you, might be, you might be familiar with, um, you might be familiar, uh, with the brother of the murdered Botham Jean, who's, uh, who's in his apartment and... Uh, um, a lady police officer coming off duty mistakenly opened the wrong apartment door, saw a black man in her, in her apartment and shot him dead. Um, and on the stand, his brother, brother of the, of, of the victim shares a few thoughts. I wanted to share them with you in case you haven't seen, seen this video. Technology always uh, blesses us, so we have it open here. 
But do you know that it was copied onto the desktop? I'm not sure. Where did they yeah. originally yeah. put it on the desktop? Oh, you did it? Okay. Yeah. You know, when it, uh, you can actually drag it from the desktop. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Wait, this one? Let me go. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hopefully, this just works. I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but. I I personally want so to, to get that from the beginning. I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I I I personally want the best for you. It's on the screen. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of Sorry folks. Take three. <laughs> right? Third time's the charm. My family or anyone. I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die, just like my brother did. But I still, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I don't know if this is possible but can, can I give her a hug please please yes Forgiveness is not to allow the other person to be intimidated of you. To let them know, if you can, or at least let them know in your heart that you are never going to hold this over them, ever. Forgiveness is to commit that we will let them preserve their dignity and their self-esteem. There's a famous story in the Desert Fathers where Emba Macarius, St. Macarius had become very old and the father of a huge uh, community and one of the brothers was accused of entertaining women in his cell um, and they would go and tell Saint Macarius and he'd tell them stop judging your brother just love each other everything will be okay 
And they'd go and tell him, no, but we saw her, but this, but that. Finally, once they saw her enter his cell. So they, a couple of the monks st stood guard in front of the door, some by the windows, and, and this and that. And they sent word to St. Macarius. And St. Macarius gathered the whole community of brothers. And he said, let's go visit brother so-and-so. And let's go look in his cell. So St. Macarius walks in and he found a chest in the monk's cell. And he knew that the woman was hiding in the chest. Some, some sources say a barrel or whatever. It doesn't matter. Some container. And so what did he do as an old man? He went and he sat on the chest. And the brothers searched this guy's cell and they tore it apart. Of course, none of them had the nerve to say, old man, get up, we want to look in the chest. And then St. Macarius told them, see, there's nothing going on here. The devil, he says to them, the devil is playing with you all to make you hate each other. This is devil work. So you all... Go and apologize to your brother one by one for accusing him. And love each other, forgive each other, and let's move on with our lives. So all of the brethren, embarrassed that they had been fooled by maybe some hallucination of some woman or something. Of course, that wasn't true. There was really a woman in the chest. Walk out and ask for forgiveness from the brother that they accused. And he, even more embarrassed forgives them, accepts their apology. Last one to leave is St. Macarius. He smiles to him, puts his hand on his shoulder and says to him, and you too go and sin no more. He knew all along. And as he left the, the man's cell, a voice was heard from heaven saying, indeed you are Macarius. The word Macarius is Coptic. It means blessed. Blessed are you, O Macarius. For you were merciful as your master has been merciful to you. He allowed him to preserve his dignity and his self-esteem. That monk became a saint. Never fooled around ever again. He learned his lesson. He learned his lesson in a completely different way than you and I wish for people to learn their lesson. Right? We will protect them from their greatest fear of being exposed. We will pray for them to be blessed. This is hard stuff. It takes a miracle to pray for the person who hurt you, or even worse, hurt your loved ones to be blessed. But it's not impossible. We see it not only in Jesus, we see it in St. Stephen. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's being stoned. As he's being stoned, he says, he prays and he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. There's a quote that I don't know comes from where. I read it in a book. I could tell you which book I read it in, but I looked everywhere to find the source. It's anonymous. It says, to return hate for love is demonic. To return love for love is human. But to return love for hate, that is divine. Only God can do that. And he can do it in me and in you. Jesus teaches us, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. 
Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that may you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Do this, Jesus is saying, so you can be like your Father in heaven. He is your Father. You are His child. I bear His likeness. I look like him. This is what he does. This is how he behaves. Our patron saint, St. Moses, is often seen carrying a sack of sand because I won't tell you the whole story, and maybe I've shared it in previous talks, because he used that as a way of preaching non-judgmentalness on his way to go and judge a brother who had fallen in sin when they insisted and insisted and insisted and insisted that he go and judge this brother. He insisted on a spirit of non-judgmentalness. In his doxology, we say he became a fighter whom the demons fear. He stood upon the rock as a symbol of the cross. Imagine that demons would fear you. When, 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 when the demons heard the name of Saint Justina, they vanished in smoke. They couldn't bear so much as to hear her name. That could be you. That could be your name. Abba Zosimus, the one who discovered St. Mary of Egypt, says, this is a quote from a book, when the demons notice that someone has been insulted or shamed or harmed or suffered something of the like, and yet that person is, so, is sorry, uh, and yet that person is sorry, not so much for what has happened, but for not being able to endure it courageously, then the demons are afraid of such a strong will. Like when you, when you look at this and you say, man, I wish I could do that, but I can't, I, I don't know if I can. The demons hear that and they're terrified by the fact that you have a will to love your enemy, to bless those who curse you, to do good to those who hate you, even if you're not up to doing it quite yet. Abba Zosimus is telling us, that the demons are terrified, are afraid of such a strong will. For they know that this person has touched upon the way of truth and has decided to walk in accordance with the commandments of God. That kind of person who has seen the truth, they've heard the truth, and they've committed themselves to follow it. Maybe they'll fail a few times at first. Maybe they'll fail their whole life trying but they've committed to walk in the way of truth are a terror to demons. A couple of the guys are going to hand you a prayer now. A friend of mine shared this prayer for me when I think I was most deeply hurt in my life. This prayer was written by Bishop Nikolai of Orchid who suffered in concentration camps in Russia. And in the concentration camps, he wrote this prayer. There's a little website address on the back. You can find it if the text is too small and you want to. And the prayer is called, Lord, bless my enemies. I want to do something a little different today. As the music is softly playing in the background, Maybe I'll, I'll invite you all to stand now. Maybe we can all stand. 
And maybe we can pray a prayer together right now for our enemies. Why should I pray for my enemies? He'll tell you why. Your friends make you happy. Your friends make you comfortable. Your friends make you wish the, the clock would stop ticking and time would never end. Your friends make you happy and want to carry on. Your enemies torture you. They make you wish and long for the kingdom of heaven. They testify to you that there's more in this world than this life. Let's pray. You can say along with me if you so wish. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into thy embrace more than friends have. Friends have bound me to earth. Enemies have loosed me from earth and have demolished all my aspirations in the world. Enemies have made me a stranger in worldly realms, an extraneous habit inhabitant of the world. Just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal does, so have I, persecuted by my enemies, found the safest sanctuary, having ensconced myself beneath thy tabernacle, where neither friends nor enemies can slay my soul. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. They, rather than I, have confessed my sins before the world. They have punished me whenever I hesitated to punish myself. They have tormented me whenever I tried to flee torments. They scolded me whenever I flattered myself. They spat upon me whenever I filled myself with arrogance. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. Whenever I have made myself wise, they have called me foolish. When I have, whenever I have made myself mighty, they have mocked me as though I were a dwarf. Whenever I have wanted to lead people, they have shoved me into the background. Whenever I rushed to enrich myself, they have prevented me with an iron hand. Whenever I thought that I would sleep peacefully, they have wakened me from my sleep. Whenever I have tried to build a home for a long and tranquil life, they have demolished it and driven me out. Truly enemies have cut me loose from the world and have stretched out my hands to the hem of thy garment. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. Bless them and multiply them, multiply them and make them more bitterly against me, so that my fleeing to you may have no return so that all hope in men may be scattered like cobwebs, so that absolute serenity may begin to reign in my soul, so that my heart may become the grave of my two evil twins, arrogance and anger, so that I might amass all my treasure in heaven, ah, so that for once be freed from self-deception, which has entangled me in the dreadful web of illusory life. Enemies have taught me 
to know that hardly what hardly anyone knows that a person has no enemies in the world except himself one hates his enemies only when he fails to realize they are not enemies but cruel friends it is truly difficult for me to say who has done more good and who has done me more evil in the world friends or enemies therefore bless O Lord both my friends and my enemies a slave curses enemies for he does not understand but a son blesses them for he understands for a son knows that his enemies cannot touch his life therefore he freely steps among them and prays to God for them bless my enemies O Lord even I bless them and do not curse them glory be to God forever and ever amen Lord Jesus Christ give us give us a heart like yours that can say Lord I bless my enemies Lord enrich them widen their borders give them great success give them peace and joy in all they do and give us also from your peace and joy give us to wish well Lord upon each other regardless of the past Give us to be true children of you, Lord, our Father in heaven. Hear us as we all pray to you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And now the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. Sorry that we ran a little over. I promised you that today would be a special day and I think indeed it was. God bless you.